Boker Tov and good morning to everyone. Welcome, those who are live in person, those who are watching as we stream live, those who are listening later. It is wonderful to be together and to have the opportunity and privilege to learn together Parshas Vayishlach, which appears in the Yard Scrolls Stone Chumash on page 170. A special thank you. We always begin with gratitude and a gratitude to our sponsors for the Parsha series for the year, dear friends Becky and Avi Katz. In loving memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Lele Nishmas, David Menachem Monish. This morning's shir is also sponsored by Yosef Kaplan in honor of the Yerzad of Shlomo Shmuel Aryeh Ben Yitzchak Kakoh and Kaplan. Dedicated in honor of my grandmother, Rose Goldberg, whose Yerzad was this past Shabbos. Rachelaya Bas David, uh, Shalom David. And in commemoration of the fourth Yerzad of Brian Kaiser, Mary Nisham Avin Aliyah. From her husband, children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. I have to say, first of all, I knew Bryna Kaiser, Neshama Shadav and Aliyah, growing up in Teaneck. Her uh, son, Oren, was a classmate of mine and a good friend of mine. And her daughter sent me a picture this week. They were going through her house, and they found a picture from my Chumash party when I was in, I guess, first grade. And I looked at it, and I thought of myself there holding the uh, Chumash. Nobody, not my parents, not my first grade teacher, nor I, when I was holding that chumash in first grade, thought I would one day be giving a parsha shear. So it is quite a picture, but thank you to the uh, Kaiser family and her neshama shedav and aliyah as well. And uh, as I said, we have the privilege of learning Parshas Vayishlach, page 170. Vayishlach Yaakov, Malachim Lefanav, Eisav Achiv, Arts Seir, Stay Edom. Lavan has run, he fled from his brother Esav after taking the brachos two weeks ago. Last week he does well for himself. Again, for us, it was one week. For him, it was 20 years. 20 years felt like one week for us. Um, but he put in his time. He worked hard, and he earned the hand of both Rachel and Leah in marriage. He became a father to many, many children. And now it's time. It's time to try to reconcile. It's time to try to reunite with his brother, with Esav. And he sends ahead, Vayishlach Yaakov Malachim Lefanov. He sends angels ahead. And here, Revolba has a comment on the introduction to the parsha. I want to bring to your attention. It appears in the Shi'ure Chumash of Revolva. And he quotes the Ramban, Hakdamas Ramban la Parsha. This is the introduction to the Parsha by the Ramban by Nachmanides, who writes, Nichtava Parsha Zosla Odia, Kihitzila Kodesh Baruch Hu is Avda Vigalom Yarchazak Mimenu, Vaishlach Malach Vayetzileu. This Parsha is for us. Now we know that every Parsha is for us. Every Parsha inspires and elevates. Every Parsha invigorates. Every Parsha gives us courage and strength. Every Parsha is a perspective for that week. That's why the title of our class, of our shir, is Parsha Perspectives, because we believe nothing is random. We read a Parsha, whatever we're going through, whatever message we need to hear, individually, collectively, as a people, is in that Parsha. Says the Ramban, his introduction to the Parsha, that this Parsha was written Laudia to inform, to tell us that Hashem saved his loyal servant Yaakov and redeemed him from that which is from the one who was stronger. And this is to teach us what is the lesson of the parsha. If you had to walk away, you came home. In one sentence, you had to summarize what is the theme, what is the essence, what is the lesson of Parsha's Vayishlach. Says the Ramban, not that Yaakov put his faith in Hashem, though certainly he did. The parsha is about Yaakov. Yaakov is a man of incredible faith, of profound faith. Yaakov trusts that Hashem will guide him through everything and bring him home safely, but that's not the key lesson. The key takeaway, says the Ramban, is that he didn't trust to rely on his righteousness. He took initiative 
He was proactive. He made an effort in saving himself in all that he could. Writes Ravolba, We live in a world, we live in a natural order. HaKadosh Baruch deposited us in this physical material world, in a world which is explained by science and medicine and nature. And he wants us to operate within that world. He wants us to operate within those rules. He wants us to take an effort, to make initiative, to be proactive. We're not meant to be passive spectators to our own life. We're not meant to sit back and wait for him to rescue us. We're not, wait to, not meant to wait and rely on a miracle. And that is the lesson of Parshas Vayishlach. Is that yes, does Yaakov put his trust and faith in God? Absolutely. Is tefillah, is prayer, one of the threefold preparations he makes for this attempted reconciliation? Absolutely. But simultaneous, alongside prayer and faith, Amuna tomorrow morning, every Wednesday morning, living with Amuna. Every Wednesday morning we spend time reinvigorating and working out our Amuna muscle so that we have an Amuna instinct and an Amuna impulse and we react and we experience the world through the filter of Amuna. Of course, we must work on our Amuna. We have to see Hashem everywhere and lean on Him and rely on Him. However, never at the expense of our own effort, our own initiative. Sometimes the pendulum swings too far where we use Amuna as a cop-out. We use bitachon, trust in Hashem, as an excuse. I'm not going to give it all my all. I'm not going to take an initiative. I'm not going to make an effort. I'm not going to be proactive. I'm not going to be the main character in bringing about my own redemption because there's a Hashem in the world. Let Him do it. That's the lesson of Parshas Vayishlach says the Ramban. The Ramban. Says the Ramban. The great commentator, the Ramban. But the lesson is that Yaakov did not rely on his righteousness. He did not sit back as a passive spectator. He got involved. Our great patriarchs and matriarchs, they didn't live some righteous life transcendent or removed from the natural order, but rather they lived and they operated within it. If a person recognizes, a person knows, a person sees that God created nature, then nature also is part of Hashem's plan for this world. Then we have to operate within it. So in other words, you can't eat unhealthy, live unhealthy, practice unhealthy policies about health, and then think that you're going to be healthy. Hashem's going to take care of me. I learn a lot. It's okay. I say a lot of Tehillim. I daven a lot. So I eat like a chazer, and I eat amounts, and I eat foods, and I eat at times which are going to clog my arteries, and are going to give me diabetes, and are going to kill me. I'm not going to get vaccinated and use a miracle God has given us. I'm not going to protect myself and ensure my health, my safety. I don't need to wear a seatbelt. Seatbelt? Who wears a seatbelt? You must not have no trust or faith in Hashem if you wear a seatbelt. Why would you wear a seatbelt? The answer is because Hashem, moron, wants you to wear a seatbelt. Excuse me, I'm sorry. The answer is, Kodesh Baruch Hu said, I invented the seatbelt. I invented the brakes of the car too. You're not going to use the brakes? Shem says, I invented medicines and healthy food and healthy living. I invented a natural order, a natural life. And one is not inferior, one is not less than the Avos if we feel that we engage the natural world and the gifts of Hashem, how to operate within it. We are the true ambassadors. We are the true inheritors of a legacy because our Avos, as we see in Parshas Vayishlach, the Yaakov doesn't sit back and say, Hashem, I don't need a seatbelt. Let me go reunite with Esav and 
I'm going to trust, I'm going to rely on my righteousness. I believe in you. Whatever is meant to be is going to happen. If it's meant to go peacefully and well, I'll walk away. If it's meant for him to kill me on the spot, he'll kill me. But Hashem, I trust. No. Yaakov says, I'm going to meet with an evil, wicked person who last time we spoke said, I'm going to kill you. So I would be a fool not to take him seriously. There's a natural order and a natural world, and we have to take our own initiative and not be passive spectators. Says Ravob, an amazing insight building on this Ramban. He says, living and operating in a world of nature is harder than living and operating in a spiritual dimension. Why? Because when you put all your faith and trust in Hashem and something works out, you say, wow. Hashem, you're amazing. Hashem, you were there for me. Hashem, you answered my prayers. Hashem, you made it work out. But when you operate through the natural order, let's say you work hard to earn a living and you close a bunch of deals or you bring in a big profit, you came up with a great business, you're entrepreneur and innovative and creative and you do well, you say, never mind Hashem, I got it covered. Thanks, I'm good to go. I'm a genius and I work hard and I'm creative and I've got charisma and I know how to negotiate. Thanks, I'm good to go, I got it. When we operate in that natural world, we are much more vulnerable and susceptible to mistakenly conclude that we are responsible for our success. That's the danger. In the desert, we lived entirely under God's miraculous providence. So God said, you're thirsty? Here's a well that travels with you. I got a water fountain. There's a seltzer machine, it's unbelievable. You go to the oil of the Rebbe, the oil, in, uh, in Queens, the Rebbe, they've got these machines there. You put a cup, whatever you want. Coffee, tea, seltzer, soda, water. Those things are, that's what I picture was in the Midbar. One of those machines. You walked up to those machines, whatever you were thirsty for. Diet peach snapple, done. You want a nice hot cup of tea, good to go. Seltzer, very bubbly, delicious, carbonated, fresh, you're good to go. So in the Midbar, you were thirsty, we had a traveling machine. You were hungry, the mud, tasted like anything you want. Can you imagine the Shalom bias? She could have milchiks, she could have fleshiks, they could sit at the same table. They're both eating the mun. It tastes like whatever you want. You don't even have to fight over it. Security, protection, you don't have to fight over who's in the army, who should be in the army, is not serving in the army, who wants to be in the army, does the army really need that? You don't have to fight. The Ananiah the clouds were protecting, says Revolba, the desert, Hashem took care. So guess what? We knew we were under His divine protection. We submitted, surrendered to Him, we felt it. But then we get into Eretz Yisrael. And now we're going to plow and plant and harvest. Now we're going to build an army and a police force. And we run that great risk of thinking, you know who's responsible for success in Israel? It's our military prowess. It's our ingenuity and creativity. But this is what Hashem wants. He wants us to engage in that challenge. He wants us to rise to that occasion. He wants us to see Him even when it feels like it's us. So all this is by way of introduction, but I think a very important introduction of Revolba. That when we read Parshas Vayishlach, and we're not going to rehash, Baruch Hashem, there are people who listen to previous years. Every week I say, if you want to know more, you can listen to previous years. There are people who take me up on that offer. Then they say, you said that last year. Be careful. So now you live in a world. I always say, I'm the biggest environmentalist on the planet. I love recycling. I believe in recycling. But anyway, people don't appreciate it. So we try to say new things. But previously we spoke about, the Gemara tells us that Rebbe, Rebbe Nasi, before he would go in to meet with his Roman contemporary, he would read Pashas Vayishlach. 
Jewish people before we went to war would read Parshas Vayishlach, the threefold, three-pronged strategy before we encounter, before we engage our enemy, before we confront the one who seeks our demise. We need gifts, we need to prepare for war, and we need prayer. That formula has existed since Yaakov Avinu, and that formula continues to serve us until this very day. But one of the messages, so I wanted to begin with this, that it's critically important in our time, and the pendulum can't swing too far in either direction. Again, this is what we talk about on Wednesday mornings in Living with Amuna. but a person shouldn't do too much initiative, too much effort. You can't work 16, 18 hours a day. If God wants you to be a millionaire, He can make you a millionaire in 8, 10, 11 hours a day. When you work 14, 16 hours a day at the neglect of your health, the neglect of your family, the neglect of your neshama, then it's, it's excessive hishtadlis. You can't have excessive initiative. On the other hand, you can't say, I'm going to work an hour a day. Tim Ferriss, the four-hour work week. I'm going to work four hours a week because I believe in Hashem and I believe in Tim Ferriss. So four hours a week I'm going to work and the money's going to flow in. Hashem says, that's not excessive initiative. That's absurdly little initiative. In the world we live in, the natural order, you can't work four hours a week and make a living. Certainly not if you have to pay day school tuitions. It's just an impossibility. So we have to find that, that sweet, happy medium. We have to be able to thread that needle to know not too little, just like the three bears, not too little initiative and not too much initiative, just the right recipe, just the right mixture of initiative and faith. Too much faith is a cop-out. You have to take some initiative. Too much initiative is a failure, a lack of faith. Show a little bit of Muna, show a little bit of Bitachon, and that is a message of Parshas Vayishlach. The fact that we meld the two, that we find we're trying to synthesize a life that is both, is not because we are less than the Avos, it is because we are the progeny of the Avos. To truly be living the life and legacy of the Avos and Imaos is to try to combine the two. Okay, Perak Ramad Bey's Pasuk, hey, moving along, next Pasuk. Here's the message. Yaakov sends messengers ahead. He says, go meet my brother. I want you to scout it out. Come back. A little intelligence gathering. I want you to scouting report for me. What's my brother? Is he open-minded? Is he open? Is he available? Is he, is he even receptive to this? What am I going to find when I meet my brother? But here's what I want you to tell him. Tell him, Im lovan garti ad ata. I was living with Lavan, and that's what took me until now. I know it's been 20 years. 20 years ago, we had a fight. Now, Yaakov had a good excuse. There was no WhatsApp, no FaceTime. There was no text messaging or email. But 20 years, you hurt your brother. You stole his bracha from his perception, from his vantage point. You really hurt him. You really injured him. You harmed him. And you waited 20 years. So the very first message Yaakov wants to get across is, I would have been here a lot sooner if it were up to me. I was living with Lavan. Im Lavan Garti. And let me tell you, that was no picnic. I was living with Lavan, the biggest manipulator, the biggest cheat, the biggest thief in the world. So believe me, I would have been here sooner. But Menachem Mendel of Kosov in his Ava Shalom, thank you to my dear buddy, Rabbi Mirza, for sharing this insight. Ad Atta, it took me Ad Atta until now. It says, Im Kigarti Bibes Lavan Esrim Shana, Lo Nigra Chashivosi Be'enav, Ela Ki'ilu Bati Ze. Atta. He says, even though I was living for 20 years with Lavan, lo nigra chashivos enav. His chashivos did not diminish in my eyes. As if right now, as if right now I arrived. Ad atta doesn't mean until now, but as if atta, as if right now. He says in Lavan Garti, 
I lived with Lavan. And Rashi tells us, the famous Rashi, Im Lavan Garti, Im Lavan Arasha Garti, I lived with that wicked, evil, Oisvarf thief, Lavan, Vitarik Mitzvah Shemarti. But even though I was living with him, I was living among the worst peer pressure. I was living in the worst culture. I was living in the worst surrounding, the worst environment, but I didn't compromise an iota. I kept my convictions. I observed my mitzvahs. I didn't learn from any of his wickedness. I observed everything I didn't learn at all from his wickedness. Now this we did share previously. Disclaimer, we shared this previously, but it's worth repeating. What does it mean? I didn't learn from him. Is Yaakov showing off to his brother? Why would Esau want to hear this? Okay, righteous brother, you were only, always holier than thou, and you're still holier than thou. When I last left you, you sat in the base medrash, you learned all time, you were the teacher's pet, you were mom's favorite, you were the holier than thou, and now you're sending me messengers to say, just want to let you know, still holier than thou. Just want to let you know, I lived with Lavan, didn't compromise an iota, tired mitzvah shamarti, just want to let you know, I'm, I'm not showing off, I'm not flexing, but just want to let you know, I'm perfect. I just want to let you know. Tariq Mitzvah Shamarti, I kept it all. I observed it all. I observed it all. Why would he flex? Or the young people would say, this is a T4. Getting a lot of blank looks. T4 is a therefore. Meaning, therefore what? Tariq Mitzvah Shamarti, uh, okay. But, but why do I care? So, it's a beautiful insight. Yaakov wasn't flexing. Yaakov was not showing off, and Yaakov was not trying to shove it in Esav's face. Yaakov was actually speaking negatively about himself. Yaakov was actually regretful. He says, It's true I kept mitzvos, but I kept them at a bare minimum. I didn't even learn from Lavan. See, Lavan, Lavan's enthusiasm, and Lavan's energy, and Lavan's passion for doing the wrong thing was off the charts. Lavan's passions was next level. When he did the wrong thing, boy, did he put his entire being into it. When he did the wrong thing, he did it with every ounce of himself. You know, I did the right thing, but I didn't learn from him. I failed to learn from him. I failed to learn from him. So we usually learn this Rashi, as part of my flex. I lived with love and kept all mitzvahs. I didn't learn a bad thing from him. But says, this beautiful insight, no, I should have learned from him. I should have learned from him the passion, the excitement, the energy, the devotion, the selflessness that he had to do the wrong thing. I could have taken all those qualities and applied them in doing the right thing. But let's go back to our core question. If he kept all the mitzvos, so what do you mean? This I never said before. What does it mean? So I want to share from Zaydel Epstein, who was the mashkiach of Torah Or, whose einakal I met in the parking lot yesterday, who said, I heard you've been quoting my grandfather, let me send you his farm, Mir Tzeshem. Mikan Ron is Kochos Nefesh Adam, he writes. From here you see the power of the person's soul. Psh. He says, you know, why did it, this is extraneous, redundant. Yaakov says, I lived with Lavan. Note, we mentioned last year, he doesn't say, Im Lavan Yashavti. He says, Im Lavan Garti. Yashav is to become a resident, is to live, is to integrate, is to assimilate. Garti is Milash and Ger. Revolba says he remained a stranger. I lived with Lavan, but I stayed an outsider. 
So I was able to live there, but I lived there as an outsider, and that's how I was uncompromising. But if he says, Tarek mitzvah shamarti, why do you have to add Velo lamad to mimasav arayim? Says Rav Zeidel Epstein is an unbelievable insight. You talk about a partial perspective for today. This is something we are experiencing and we are struggling from today. And you know what that is? We live in a world of people who tarig mitzvah shamarti. I go to Minyan, I learn the daf yomi, I volunteer for the chevra kadisha, I do chesed, my kids are in yeshiva day school, I'm tarig mitzvah shamarti, but still learning from lavan. But really, my values, my priorities, my lifestyle, my ostentatiousness, my fashion choices, im lavan, they're lavan. You can be an assimilated, observant Jew. And it's a mistake to think that we're not. When we are sympathetic to some of the changing mores and values and the Weltanschauung of the world around us, when we are adapting some of that philosophy, that attitude, that approach, when we give in to some of the isms of our time, when we corrupt the Torah viewpoint of how we are meant to look at the world and relationships and identity and life, how we're meant to look at materialism and physical pleasure, and we are assimilating our values as reflected in too many of our lifestyle choices, then we can be observant, we can be observant students of Lavan. You could be assimilated observant Jews. You could be assimilated observant Jews when we are assimilating the wrong values and we are not rejecting, Torah is not our force field protecting us, but they are penetrating and entering. And that's what Rav Zedel Epstein says. It's not redundant. Im lavan shamarti, I lived with lavan and I kept all of mitzvos. Maybe you kept all of mitzvos, but really you lived a life like lavan. Maybe you dressed like lavan, acted like lavan, made your simchas like lavan. Maybe your attitude, your philosophy. Maybe you watched things on Netflix like lavan. Maybe tarig mitzvah shamarti, but you were like lavan. No. And also, it wasn't redundant or extraneous to add that sentence. It was critically important because Yaakov was saying two things. Number one, I remained observant. But number two, and I also didn't assimilate. And it's an important conversation. It's an important conversation to have with ourselves or those around us. You could save it for your Shabbos table or beforehand. But to ask, in what ways are we assimilating? How have we assimilated in our attitude, in our philosophy, in our thoughts, in our approach, in our lifestyle, even while yet we are observant? Even while yet we are observant. Does being a Torah Jew, does being a Ben Torah, Bas Torah, does being B'nai Torah, does that define us? Is that our core? Is it our identity? Is it everything about us? Even while we engage the world around us and take the best from it. I'm not advocating, and if you know me, you know me well enough to know, I don't live this. I'm not advocating retreat in isolation, live a life where we're not exposed or participating in the best of what the world has to offer. But even while we do, are we assimilating in, or are we judicious in what we choose to adopt and to participate in? Tarek mitzvah shamayati, we can be fully observant, and yet be living with lavan. Be living with lavan. Or, like Yaakov Avinu, to be living with Lavan, but not to be, to be observing a Torah and also not to be living with him. And then Zedel Epstein quotes the Ramban, the beginning of Pasha's Kedoshim, that begins Kedoshim to you. Be holy. What does it mean be holy? The Ramban famously there says, don't be a novel Bershus Torah. What's a novel Bershus Torah? A manuvel Bershus Torah. It means when you can check off every box, I did nothing wrong. Let's say every Sunday for the football season, what is it, 16 weeks, 20 weeks, 14 weeks? I'm not trying to show off that I don't know. I, 
actually don't know. 17 weeks. So let's say you say, not, you know, I watch one game or one quarter or one half a week. I do it with my children. We, we bond. I do it to relax and reinvigorate, to be able to refocus and to have a great week ahead. There's nothing wrong. I'm, I'm a sports fan myself. I don't think there's anything wrong with utilizing it in the context of Avodah Hashem. But let's say somebody says, when I wake up Sunday morning, I have to go to the early minion because by 7 a.m. I'm already tailgating and I'm already eating and drinking and barbecuing because I got to watch the NFL pregame. Then I watch four games in a row. Then I spend my night with the post games. Then I analyze my, what do you call it? Not, my fantasy league. And that's my Sunday. And then you become, you leave your wife, what's called a football, an NFL widow, and your children become NFL orphans. Because my Sunday is 12, 14 hours, the pregame, four games, the, the tailgate, the eating during, the eating after, the postgame. So the Ramban says, you come to such a person, you say, is that what Hashem wants from you? And they say, what are you talking about? The tailgate, all the ingredients were kosher. Everything had to know you, chafkeh, highest standards. All the bread was pasi what are you talking about? The shechita was, was a haimish shechita, the best that's out there. We even daven marav at halftime. We had Dvar Torah, I think in between the second and third game. So the Ramban would say that's a novel bershusa Torah. Again, I'm not rejecting sports altogether. I enjoy too, in moderation, judiciously. But a person could live a life of novel bershusa Torah. Technically, I check every box, I've done nothing wrong but is what you're doing right. And says of Zedel Epstein, that's the insight here. So good, I probably should have saved it for Shabbos, for the drusha. Such a good insight. Are we assimilated, observant Jews? Are we tarik mitzvah shamarti, but in love on God, but we're still loving with love on? Or are we tarik mitzvah shamarti and velo but we're being careful what we adopt and what we learn? Next. Next. Tarik mitzvah shamarti. What do you mean, Tariq Mitzvah Shemarti? I think we shared this previously in another name, but we'll share it this year in the name of the Lasitcha Elyon. It appears in this wonderful new sefer as well. How could he say Tariq Mitzvah Shemarti? 20 years he didn't see his parents. We have a little mitzvah when it comes to parents called Kibar Aveim. What do you mean I observed all 613? You didn't keep Kibar Aveim. You weren't in Israel. You were outside the land of Israel. You didn't take Shumas and Maiseris. You didn't observe the mitzvahs of Tliyus Ba'aretz. By the way, Yaakov, I hate to bring it up, but you were married to two sisters. That's a no-no. Torah says you're not allowed to marry two sisters. What do you mean, Tariq Mitzvah Shemarti? Please, send a message to my brother. I'm love on Garti, but Tariq Mitzvah Shemarti. What do you mean, Tariq Mitzvah Shemarti? You didn't keep it out of aim. You didn't do mitzvah Tliyus Ba'aretz. You didn't... There were a ton of mitzvahs you didn't do. There's no Beis HaMikdash, there's no Korbanos, there's no Kohanim, there's no... How could you say you observed all Tayyag mitzvahs? So the Sefer Kirya Sefer, the commentary rather, Kirya Sefer, in his Akdama, in his introduction, Kirya Sefer is not just a town near Modiyin in Israel today, it was a beautiful commentary in the Ramam and others. The Kirya Sefer writes, in the beginning of Perik Zion, his Akdama, Kishimekabal ha'odam lasus kolmashen etztava mepiagvura hareu ki'ilu asa'an we believe that when a person has when a person has committed themselves to do something Hashem asks, when a person says, yeah, I see myself doing it, I'm prepared to do it, I want to do it, I'm ready to do it, I will do it, it is as if they've done it. When a person declares, when a person commits, when a person pronounces, when a person is devoted that they're going to do it, 
The Torah says that they offered the Pesach even before they did, because once they accepted upon themselves to do it, we say this in our vernacular. You ask me to do it, and what do I say to you? It's as good as, it's as good as done. You don't have to ask me again. You asked me to do something and I said yes. And when I said yes, the fact that I said yes to what you asked me to do, it makes it as good as, it's as good as done. You don't have to, it's as good as done. So says the Kiryas Sefer, that when we learn Torah, we learn mitzvahs. We may not be in a place, a time, we may not be in a ready ourselves to do something. But when we say done, done and done, done and done, it's as good as done, then it's as if we already did it. And that's what it means. When Yaakov says, Tayag mitzvah shamarti, ay, how's that possible? He can't possibly observe all 613. He didn't have that opportunity where he was. The answer is, but he was ready to. And when you're ready to do a mitzvah, it's ki'ilu you did it. And he continues, and this we shared previously, that he says, Tariq mitzvahs, what's the word he uses? Shamarti. He doesn't say, I kept Tariq mitzvahs. He doesn't say, Tariq mitzvahs asisi. What does he say? Tariq mitzvahs shamarti. What does the word shamarti mean? I safeguarded. You can safeguard by learning, studying, committing, talking about it. You could safeguard by being committed to it. He never said I kept it because you're right, that would be impossible. He says, Shamarti, I safeguarded, I protected it. I protected by learning, talking, thinking, committing, pledging and promising to it. But more than that, the word Shamar doesn't only mean to safeguard. You know what else it means? It means to look forward to, to anticipate, to count down. Where do we see that? Ve'aviv Shamar es hadavar. Later, when Yaakov will be waiting for Yosef's return, Yaakov is inconsolable. He refuses to accept the possibility that Yosef is gone forever. It says, Vaviv shamar sadavar. It says that Yaakov shamar. He longed, he counted, he anticipated to Yosef's return. The word shamar, that's what it means to be a Shomer Shabbos. The Aptarav, the Ovi Yisrael says, Shomer Shabbos is not just on Shabbos. Shomer Shabbos is all week long when you look forward to it and you long and you count down and you turn Friday into Erev Shabbos. So, Tarek Mitzvah Shamarti means the whole time I lived with Lavan and I was precluded and prevented from keeping mitzvahs, Tarek Mitzvah Shamarti. I never stopped longing and waiting. I never stopped anticipating and getting excited for when I would be able to come back and keep them again. Someone could have been in Auschwitz, someone could have been in a concentration camp and said, I kept Tarek Mitzvahs there. What do you mean you kept Tarek Mitzvahs there? You had to eat non-kosher, you couldn't keep Shabbos, you couldn't keep mitzvahs, you never have a minimum matzahs. What are you talking about? The answer is the entire time I thought about the mitzvahs. I talked about and I committed to them and I pledged and I promised if I'd get out, I'd keep them. And I looked forward and I'd long to when I'd return to them once again. And that's what Tarek Mitzvah Shamarti means. A very, very beautiful insight. The Chidah has a comment. Rav Chaim Yosef David Azulai. And he says the following. Again, our beautiful new Mikros Gedolas. Mikros Gedolas Hapardes. Pshat Remez Drash Sod. Quotes a lot of the Chasid Shesvarim in very small print. The Chidah says the following. As we asked, you're in Chutz Laaretz, you're not near your parents. You can't say you kept all of them. He did keep it. He learned the laws, he was ready to do it. The only thing missing was actually doing it. And he couldn't do it, not because of his own fault. He was honest, honest Rechman He was exempt because he technically couldn't do it. So in other words, every time we do a mitzvah, there are several components. We learn about it, we have to commit to doing it, and then we do it. Two out of the three he did. He learned about it, 
and the commitment was there. Doing it, that was out of his hands. And we could further add, Why did he send this message? Let's go back to the very beginning. Why did he send this message? Is he flexing? T4. Okay, the, the messenger shows up and says, Hi, your brother Yaakov, I work for him. He wants you to know that he's so sorry. He would have been here sooner, but he was held up because he was working for the evil Lavan for 20 years, Hishver. And he just wants to let you know that even while he was working for them all 20 years, he observed mitzvahs the entire time and he never learned from the wickedness of Lavan. Why? Why was that an important message to communicate? Says the Chidah. Before this reunion, Yaakov wanted to make sure Esav knew something. Esav, maybe you assume that for 20 years I've been sliding away. For 20 years, I couldn't keep Kibbutz Aim. I didn't have a yeshiva. I didn't have a base medrash. I wasn't near mom and dad. I didn't have mitzvahs at Baaretz. I'm married to two sisters, which is a violation of the very law that I've been advocating for. So Esav, maybe you're going to take some kind of joy, or maybe you think that I'm vulnerable because you think that I'm off the derech. Yeah, we grew up together, twins. You all along... We're a little tzatzkala. I was in the base major sitting and learning. And now you're going to have some kind of wicked joy by the thought that I too went off the derech and joined you. And you're going to think you're going to bring me down. You think you're going to be able to take me down because I lost my edge. Just want to let you know, Tarek Mitzvah Shonarti, that I never stopped observing. I never stopped keeping. Lachain Amar Lo Yaakov in Lavan Garti. Lo By the way, unless you think that I assimilated into Lavan, and I, and I rose to become some type of leader, aristocrat, royalty, wealthy, powerful in Lavan's home, Garti, I was a gear because I was uncompromising, because I remained steadfast to my convictions, gear. I was an outsider. I was an outsider. We were at each other's throats. We were enemies. I never assimilated into what he wanted. And no, my brother Esav, I have not rejected one mitzvah. The two sisters, ah, I have an excuse, I have an out, a technical reason, it was okay. So that is the message, that is an interpretation perhaps into what the message is he was getting across. But let's keep going because it's already getting late, we haven't yet started. Lamed Bez turn the page. So now, Yaakov does his threefold preparation, military, uh, diplomacy, gifts, and prayer. But he's still nervous. And he says, He says, maybe, maybe I'm unworthy. Maybe I've become so diminished by all the goodness and the kindness that Hashem has showed me. We're not going to revisit. In previous years we spoke about, I understand why a person become diminished because God has been gracious, the chasadim, the goodness God did. But why would they become diminished because of the emes? If it's truth and if it's just, then why should they be diminished? Why should they lose out on their merits because of it? We discussed that previously, many instances on katoti, but I want to share with you a couple more. 
A couple more insights on the word katonti. What was Yaakov thinking? What exactly was Yaakov worried about when he says, katonti mikolach hasadim? I've become diminished from all the goodness and the kindness that Hashem has shown me. So the Chazev Lublin, the great Chazev Lublin says, katonti mikolach hasadim, midas anava yitachain, kasheroa you see a person's humility, you see a person's humility, the midah of anava, when a person is in distress, crisis. So you see the real humility of a person in two circumstances. When that person has this epiphany or awakening that God is great and I'm so nothing, then a person is humbled by the greatness, the vastness of God, and in contrast, just how small, how finite, how mere mortal we are. Or, when a person is in crisis, who's arrogant while they're in crisis? When they're in crisis, they say, I need, I depend, I rely only on Hashem. So this is what he's saying to Hashem. Yaakov's offering a prayer to Hashem, and he says, let me be Katonti, let my humility stem from the recognition of how great you are and not stem from being in a state of crisis. In other words, my humility can be driven either by an absolute learning and awareness of how great you are or the humility can be driven by crisis. Hashem, let the humility be driven by an awareness of who you are. Sfasemes, the great Ger Rebbe, understands differently. He says, Katonti mikola chasadim, perish, gam mashani margesh es atzmi katan, hu mechesed Hashem. It's a great Sfasemes. We usually read it, Katonti mikola chasadim, I am diminished from all of your chesed. He says, no, Katonti, that which I live with humility, if I merit to be humble, that too is one of the chasadim you've done for me. Arrogant people, don't live happy lives. A person is arrogant. Their ego fills the whole room. They're not really in a relationship with people around them. They think they are. It's a blind spot. They don't even know they're not. So Yaakov says, Katonti is Mikola Chasadim. Katonti, the fact that I'm humble, is itself one of the Chasadim. Katonti is one of the Chasadim that you've done for me. What was he afraid of? What was he afraid of exactly? Is this a... The fact that he says, Katonti Mikola Chasadim. He says, Hashem, what if I'm unworthy? And what if therefore I'm vulnerable? And what if my brother Esav, he takes me down? And therefore he davens to Hashem. I'm afraid. He's going to come and strike me. He's going to destroy my family. Everything I've built up, everything I've merited. The great Yaakov, the Bechira Avos, the choice of all of the patriarchs, now has a crisis of faith. Where's his Amuna? What happened to his faith? Isn't he challenging God? Shouldn't a person say, look, I have to do what's asked of me, like the Ramban's introduction to our Parsha. I have to take my initiative, diplomacy and war, military and prayer. And now I'm good to go. Now I have no fear at all. Instead, he says, I've done those three things and yet I'm still afraid. Isn't that a crisis of faith? The great Yaakov is worried. Don't we preach each week at the living with Amun Ashir? Let go, let God. Do what you need to and then know that he's in charge. Submit and surrender. You'll be happier. You'll lead a healthier life. Yaakov never listened to the living with Amunashir. So says the Abar Benel.
Says the Bar Benel. Pachad Yaakov Yerosa Me'esav Loya Mechulashas Emunaso B'tchonu B'yudav. Yaakov's fear did not stem from a failure of faith. This is along the lines of the Ramban's introduction. This is part of Hishtadlas. When you act so macho, and you don't have any butterflies in your stomach, and you have no nervous, nervousness, then you're not living in the rules of nature. He says the Ibar Benel the following. I'll just summarize it because there's so much more we want to cover. The Ibar Benel says the following. You know, parents, among the scariest kind of children to have is a fearless child. You know the child is willing to jump off of a high thing. Child who's the thrill seeker is willing to do anything. Child who's not afraid of anything. For a parent, that is devastatingly frightful. To have a child who's fearless, that's really, 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 really scary. Scary, Because the way the natural order works, the way Hashem created us and His world, is that fear creates healthy boundaries. Fear, a shtickle anxiousness, makes us prepare, makes us take caution, makes us mindful. There's a healthy dose of anxiousness. There's a healthy dose of nervousness. There's a healthy dose of fear that guides us to live a safe and secure and protected life. When a child is fearless, those parents don't sleep at night because who knows what that child will do, what they'll jump off of, how fast they'll drive, where they'll go, what they'll attempt. It's scary to have a kid who's fearless. So says the Abarbanel, when he says, Yaakov says, I'm not going to lie. Hashem, I did the three things I'm supposed to do. And I'm still a little bit nervous. And I find that so validating. I find that so empowering. Because when we're still a little bit nervous, that's healthy. That's okay. That too is an expression of emuna. So Yaakov takes that nervousness, that anxiousness. Yaakov takes that little edge. On our Behind the Bima podcast, we speak to lots of very prominent people. And one of the questions we often ask is, do you get nervous? We just asked it recently to Avram Fried, to Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. We asked, do you, do you still get nervous? Mariano Rivera, great pitcher of the Yankees, we asked, did you get nervous when you got on the mound? Do you still get nervous? Do you get nervous? We've never had a great person say no. Not at all. I've done it a million times. I'm the best at what I do. I prepared, so I'm not nervous. They all say, absolutely, and the day I don't get nervous is the day I retire, is the day I'm done. Those nervous butterflies, that little anxiousness, that's a driver, it's healthy. But what Yaakov does with it is what we're meant to do with it. What does Yaakov do with it? He turns it into a prayer. I'm a little bit nervous. I'm about to go on the big stage, I'm about to take the microphone. Shabbat a big audience, a great privilege, a great opportunity, and a great responsibility to try to inspire and elevate, to try to share a great message. I get nervous. I get very nervous. But you know what I try to do? Like Yaakov Avinu, Ribbon Shalom. Please let it all work out. Please put the right words in my mouth. Please let it go smoothly. Please, in the age when we use technology, let the technology work. To channel the nervousness or anxiousness into a tefillah. So it's an important, important insight of the Abarbanel is don't say, don't say, don't get nervous. That's a failure or a crisis of faith. Say, get nervous, get nervous, and turn that nervousness into a tefillah just like Yaakov Avinu does. Okay. 
Oh, Perak Lamed Beis, Pasuk Chafei. So they're on their way for this reunion. At night, Yaakov, they're traveling. <clears throat> Yaakov forgets the Pacham Ketanim. Here's an allusion to Chanukah in Parshas Vayishlach. Often there is an overlap. And Yaakov goes back to retrieve the Pacham Ketanim, these small jugs, <clears throat> like the Pacham of the Beis Amikdash in allusion to Chanukah. Vayivasa Yaakov Levado, he goes back, he finds himself alone. Vayavik Ishimo Adalos Hashachar, and he wrestles with the angel until daybreak. We've also spoken about this a million times. Listen to previous year, and we're not going to review it. We do not eat from the Gedanasha. We do not eat from the sciatic nerve until today, in commemoration that Yaakov was injured. He walked away with a limp. Chizkuni asks, normally when we win, we have a mitzvah to eat, not to stop eating something. This is kind of bizarre. Yaakov defeats Sarashal Esav. Yaakov defeats his alter ego. Yaakov defeats the Yitzhahara. Yaakov defeats the Satan. I have to be careful. Last night I spoke at a bris Yitzchak. Sephardim don't have a Shalom Zachar. They have a Brit Yitzchak the night before the bris. And I was talking about Yaakov wrestling with the Satan. And Yaakov wrestled with the angel, the Satan. And a woman screamed from the other room, We don't say that word in this house. Stop saying the name. <laughs> it's a little... Uh, a little Ayn Hara. I was a little startled, but I was also uh, a little inspired. You know, we're like, Satan, Satan, bring it on. Do we really believe in him? Do we know what it is? Do we really care? She was like, well, he's real for me. Stop saying his name. He's not welcome in this house. I was startled, but also impressed and inspired. So Yaakov wrestles with his alter ego, and he triumphs. He walks away. He defeats the alter ego. So normally, everybody knows the old Jewish joke. They tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. This is, they tried to kill him. He won. Don't eat. Don't eat the sciatic nerve. The chizkuni has an altogether different interpretation. If you want to hear it, you'll have to listen to one of the previous years. But I want to bring your attention this year to something new, and that is Unklos. Unklos, the Targum Unklos, the great Aramaic second century translator of uh, Torah, writes on these words, Vayivaser Yaakov Levado, that Yaakov wrestled by himself, Eshtadel Gavra Ima. Eshtadel. What does the word Eshtadel mean? We just used it with the Ramban's introduction to our Parsha. If I had to reduce the theme, this is the theme of the Parsha. Hishtadlas. Unklish translates the word to wrestle as to try. Every time we try, we're wrestling with our alter ego. What an unklish. We're not always going to win. We're not always going to succeed. We're not always going to break through. But we have to try. We have to try. That is our mission. That is our responsibility. Eshtadel gavra ima. To wrestle is to try, is to willing to try. How many people don't even try because they're afraid to fail? They're afraid to fail. So it's easier to not try than it is to try and fail. There are people professionally who are stuck. They have no ambition. They've never stretched. They've never left their comfort zone. There are people socially who've never left their comfort zone. There are people in Torah who've never left their comfort zone. There are people in their relationships who've never tried. There are people in their health and wellness who've never tried because they're afraid to fail. To try is to wrestle. To wrestle is to try. And that's all we can be asked. I call your attention to the Rambam and Hilchos Tshuva. The Rambam says, Yishtadel lasos Tshuva. The Rambam says, try to do Tshuva. It's a funny mitzvah. He doesn't say the Rambam, try to light the menorah. Try to keep Shabbos. Try to keep kosher. But when it comes to Tshuva, he says, try. Yishtadel, try. What do you mean try? It's a mitzvah. You have to. Do tshuva. Do tshuva. What do you mean try to do tshuva? 
So I think based on this unklus, this is my own idea, based on this unklus, you could suggest what the Rambam is saying is what is tshuva? Tshuva is the experience of wrestling with ourselves. Wrestle with yourself. Make an effort. Try. Try. Don't be a coward. Don't be afraid to fail. Fail forward if you fail. If you fail. The Mishnah says in In a place that there are no people, try to be a person. The Rambam in his Perish Mishnah writes, Inyan Hishtadel Hargel Nafshacha the Rambam translates that Mishnah in Avos. You know, that's when the rabbi is recruiting you to lead the committee. That's what the rabbi will always invoke, this Mishnah in Avos. Please be the Gabbai. Please chair the committee. Please work on the effort. There's no one else willing to do it. I need you to step up and be the man, be the woman, take control. But the Ramam says that's not what the Mishnah means. The Mishnah doesn't mean when no one else is willing to do it, you step up and do it. That's not the Mishnah. The Ramam says, you know what the Mishnah means? You know what? Where's the makam she'ein anashim? Where's a place that there are no other people? In your head, in your heart, and in your soul. Where you live and you live alone. When you live, when no one sees you, when you're living privately, when you're living in your innermost chamber, when you're living in your own head, in that in your own head, which is a makom she'en anashim, that's where hishtad elios ish, wrestle to become the person you're meant to be. All of us have demons. All of us have negative thoughts. All of us have those voices that sabotage our success. The Ramah is saying is shut them down. Shut those voices down. B'makom she'en anashim, in our own psyche and in our own heads, in our own place that there's no one else. There's no one to lean on, no one to rely on. There's no Tony Robbins, there's no motivational speaker, there's no Charlie Arari, there's no Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. There's no one in your head, it's you. You're right now falling asleep. You're in the shower, you're driving in your car, and you're having that conversation with yourself that says, you're not worthy, you won't succeed, don't bother trying, take the easy way out. In your head in that place, that's when step up, man up, woman up. Shut it down, that voice, and realize who you could be and go become that person. Where'd the Ramam get that from? That's the taich, that's the interpretation of the Mishnah Navos. Anashim, in a place that there's no one else. Where'd he get it from? He got it from this unklus. What it means to wrestle? Eshtadel. Every time we make an effort, take initiative, and we try, we are wrestling with ourselves. We're wrestling with others. When we're facing inertia, when we're fighting, the obstacles or impediments in our way can be family, can be friends, it can be nature, it can be socially, it can be a pandemic. Sometimes we have to face and confront forces fighting against us. But one of those forces is our own voice in our own head. Eshtadel. In a place that there's no one else. ish. That's where we need, in the conversation in our own head. avek ishtadel. Wrestle. Be willing to wrestle. Be willing to go to the mat. Be willing to wrestle, even if it means, even if it means you're making yourself vulnerable to getting injured. Sometimes when we wrestle and we put ourselves out on a limb, we leave our comfort zone and we agree to speak publicly. We agree to chair that event. We agree to go to that place. We agree to take on that, that uh, lifestyle change. We agree to make that commitment. Learning or living, 
Whatever it is, sometimes we may walk away like Yaakov did. We may walk away limping. It didn't go exactly as we thought. When we put ourselves in the public light, now people spoke about us. Now they wrote comments about us. Now they sent us nasty emails. So we got injured like Yaakov. Nevertheless, that is our responsibility. Okay, let's, get, let's fast forward. I want to get to another part of the parsha for our last 10 minutes or so together. And that is the story of Dina. Lamedalek, Perak Lamedalek, chapter 34, Pasuk Aleph. Chapter 34, Pasuk Aleph, verse 1. They have the reunion. It goes well, at least on the surface. Esav says, listen, we're brothers, arm in arm. No, let's go. Yaakov says, let's quit while we're behind. We press our, let's not press our luck. You go your way. I'll go, I got a big family. They're very slow. I've got a whole entourage. They keep stopping. They have to daven shacharaz, mincha, marav. You know, you, you go. We'll meet up sometime in the future. Perak Lamedalet, Pasuk Aleph. Atetze dina basleya, shayaldali Yaakov, liros bivnos haaretz. Here we have the story of Dina. Dina, the daughter of Leah, born to Yaakov, lest you think Leah had some extramarital affair. Dina, the daughter of Leah, who was also born to Yaakov, went out. Vatetze, she went out. She went out. She went out wide, Liros, Bibinosar. She went to go check out what's going on. The local pub, the local club, the well, where everyone hangs out to find their shidduch. Single scene. She goes out. And whom does she meet? Lo and behold, the single scene. Careful what you wish for. She runs into Shechem, the son of Chamor, Hachivi. And he rapes her. He rapes her. There's no consent. Hashtag me too. He rapes her. But you know what? After he rapes his victim, he actually falls in love. He falls for his victim. And he says, No, let's get married. He says to his father, I found the one. I found the girl. Yaakov hears that his daughter had been raped, that his daughter had been violated. Chamor comes and says, No, let's talk. Let's make the shidduch. Let's close the deal. Meanwhile, Dina's brothers come in from the field and they hear what had happened and they say, this can't go. So we all know the story. They say, look, it's a beautiful shidduch. We'll close the deal. But our sister's not marrying somebody who's uncircumcised. You and all the people of the town get circumcised and then we'll, we'll have the wedding. We'll host the chuppah. The third day after the circumcision, the most vulnerable in the recovery process, they go and they slaughter and they wipe out the whole town. Yaakov is, becomes irate. Yaakov says to them, Levi and Shimon, what did you do? Impetuous. What did you do? So impulsive. What did you do? You risked our safety. They're surely going to take revenge. Are you crazy? And even later, Parshas Vayechi, when Yaakov is giving the brachas on his deathbed to his children, he's still holding on to this resentment. Levi and Shimon, you risked it all. Everything I built and everything I achieved when you act so impulsively and impetuously, what were you thinking? All the way later in Parshas and Levi and Shimon say, I'll tell you what we were thinking. Nobody's going to turn our sister into a harlot. Kazona, nobody's going to turn our sister into a zona. That's what we were thinking. But that didn't answer Yaakov's question. Yaakov says, but you risked our lives. That was dangerous. You think Yaakov says, you think I wasn't offended? You think I wasn't bothered too? So here we have this story. <clears throat> but the story begins with what? How is it introduced? With Vatetse Dina. The Dina went out. Dina went out. And the Medrash Tanchuma tells us about Dina going out. Poretz geder yishachenu nachash zedina. A pasuk, a pasuk I think in Mishlei. One who bursts forth, one who pierces a boundary will get bit by a snake. Whom is that pasuk talking about? Dina. 
What bound did, <coughs> what boundary did she break through? Everyone else was at the Parshashir. And Dina said, eh, I want to go out. Everyone else stayed home and played Ramakub. Everybody else stayed home and had art night. Everybody else stayed home and packed home Cheshavah's boxes. Dina. Dina says, I got to check out the nightlife here. I can't be stifled. A year and a half of Corona is enough already. Quarantine, distancing, I just want to go out. I just want to go out. Says the Medrash Tanchuma, that's what got her raped. Vatetze Dina, because she insisted she had to go out when she should have been a little bit more modest and humble and stayed home. Dibre Chazal Khan Omrim Darshani says the Sefer Sitcha Elyon, Torah here is saying, come Darshani, what are we talking about? Dina, how old is Dina? Dina's a young woman. If I tell you the Medrash says her age, It'll make it even more perplexing. She's eight years old. So what does that mean? She wanted to go out. She wanted to go play Machanayim. What was she going out to do? She wasn't going to the club. So what does that mean? But the Bali Musar explained, She grew up in the home of Yaakov. And she should have understood it. Vatetse means, I want to curiously go explore the world out there. Maybe my world that I grew up in, Maybe what my parents have shown me and modeled for me and taught me and exposed me to, it's not enough. Vatetse. I want to study other religions. I want to know what life is like on the college campus. I want to go experience the whole world and what it's out. I want to go live in that community and be part of that world. Vatetse. She was unsatisfied with the world of Yaakov and the world of Leah. She wanted to see more. And again, says Reb Zedel Epstein coming back, Mashkiach of Torah Or, but that's the problem of Hanukkah. What happened in Hanukkah? He says, the Gzeira of the Yavanim was, Lahashkicham Torah Secha. The Syrian Greeks thought that they could, they could bring us down, how? When they would cause us to forget, Lashkicham Torah Secha, your Torah. It doesn't say, Lashkicham Torah Sashem, Lashkicham HaTorah. It says, to cause them to forget your Torah. Meaning, we have a life, we have a lifestyle. Are we B'nai Torah, B'nos Torah? Is that our identity? Is it who we are? Yes, we participate. Yes, we contribute. Yes, we are exposed to the greater world around us. But do we realize first and foremost who we are and what our world is and what it's about? Or Vatetse, do we want to go out? Are we so curious? Do we feel so stifled that we have to see what it's all about? I was on a plane this week. While I was doing work on the plane, I had, the, there was a, a, um, documentary about a princess Di, Diana, and the royal family. You know, th- th- we're royalty. Jewish people are royalty. And we have the rules of royalty. And if you're curious and you want to see what life is like on the other side, things happen. I'm not saying the queen had Di killed. I'm not saying she didn't. I'm not saying she did. I'm not talking about Diana right now. I'm just saying, you look at what happened. You're curious to go out and to experience outside of royalty till the son says, I no longer consider myself, I don't even want to be part of royalty, and the next thing you know, assimilation. So vatetzei dina, when dina says, this Yiddish home, this Jewish home, but I'm curious, but I want to see, but what else is out there? It means that there was a failure in the upbringing, the gishmak to be a Yid. Again, that doesn't mean that you can't experience parts in the right way, in moderation, in a safe way, with boundaries, 
But she says, I want to leave it behind and I want to go out and I want to experience the world. Says Rav Zayn that was the problem. That was the challenge of the Yavanim, Lashkicham Torah to cause us to forget that we, who we are in our identity and in our core. The Baal Tshereb Sichos has a different interpretation. Likutei Sichos, bear with me a couple more minutes. I apologize, we're going over time, but I'll make it worth your while. Says the Likutei Sichos. Says the Rebbe. Vatetzei Dina. Why does the Torah identify her as Dina Bas Leah? Oh, also, by the way, Yaakov was her father, but she's really Dina, the daughter of Leah. Rashi there says, Bas Leah, Velo Bas Yaakov? Ela Hashem, Yitzi Asa, Nikrei's Bas Leah. Because Leah went out, she learned it from Leah. Shafi Yatsanis, Shenemar Vatetzei Leah, Likraso. Leah went out to greet Yaakov, just like Leah was a Yatsanis. Leah was one who went out. That's who Dina learned from. She learned from her mother. Her mother went out. She was curious and wanted to go out. And what does the Rebbe in Likutei Sichos? Tzarek Birer. Madua Mefarish Rashi Peresh Shetokhano Shabbat Kassel Adabar Begnos Leah. Why are we bringing Leah down with this? Dina went out. She then got raped. She was somebody who went out. We're being critical of a Yatsanis, of somebody who goes out. Oh, she got that Midah from her mother. Her mother was like that too. Her mother went out. And the Raya, the, the Pasuk that we bring a proof from, Leah went out, why? She didn't go to a club or a bar, Leah. Where did she go? To greet Yaakov. Leah did a beautiful thing. Nothing wrong. When Leah went out in order to greet Yaakov, it's because she wanted to procreate. She wanted to have more children. She wanted to bring more holy tribes into the world. Leah did a virtuous thing. So why are we invoking as an example what Leah did for going out in order to be critical of Dina Ford as well? So the Baba Chirabah says the following. This was the Rebbe's whole life, was to defend the Jewish people. The Rebbe spent his entire life reading history and reading the Jewish neshama, not to see something to be critical of, but to see something to praise. And he says, we got it all wrong. It's not that Dina is identified or associated with Leah because Leah were critical of, she went out and Dina went out. Leah did the right thing by going out and so did Dina. He says, Where was Dina? Where was Dina in this whole story when they met Esav? What did Yaakov do with Dina when they met Esav? He locked her in a suitcase. And he locked it. Why? Because he was worried. What was he worried about? He was worried, he was worried that Esav would be smitten from this Dina and then he would take her. And what would happen? Dina would go off the derech if she married Esav. So the Torah tells us, Chazal tell us, Nenash Yaakov. Yaakov was punished for hiding and locking Dina in a suitcase, thinking that she would convert, go off the derech with Esav. Why? Because Shema Lamutov, because the opposite would have happened. Leia's charisma, Leia's inspiring personality, Leia's compelling, Leia would have actually brought Esav back. Dina, sorry. Could have, thank you for still listening. Dina could, have brought, Dina could have brought Esav back. Could you imagine a world in which Yaakov and Esav got along? We don't have a world of Esav, Esav Sones Yaakov. It could have been Esav loved Yaakov. We would not have to be facing Christian oppression throughout the millennia including the Holocaust, would have never happened if Esau would have loved us. 
And why did Esau fall in love with us? Because Yaakov didn't have faith that Leah could bring him back. He locked Leah down. Dina, Dina sorry. Yaakov didn't have faith that Dina could bring him back. He locked Dina down. Uvmavur says the Rebbe, Shema Alasa Shodina, Shaisa Gedola Kokach, Achebekocha, Lahaxi Lamutov, as Esav Arasha. Dina was so great, so persuasive, so charismatic, so compelling. She could have inspired and brought back, she could have made Esav into a tzaddik. So what do you see? Vatetze Dina. Dina going out was a good thing. What is Lubavitcher Rebbe saying about Dina? She's the first Kirov professional. <laughs> Dina is the first Shliach. She's the first Shlicha. She's going out on Shluchas. Dina's going out. So while, while we read the criticism, everyone else was staying home to play Ramakab, everybody else was packing Tom Cheshavas, everybody else was listening to the Parshashir, Vatetze Dina, she had to go out. This Yatsanis, says Lubavitcher Rebbe, no, she was a Yatsanis like her mother. They were on Shlichus. They were out doing Kirov. They were out doing outreach. They were out like the disco rabbi. We had him behind the bima, Rabbi Grossman, the great disco rabbi. Rabbi Grossman, Migdal Or, Migdal Amek. If you didn't listen to that episode, you must go back and listen. The great Rabbi Grossman, who went into the disco, the disco rabbi. Leah was ready to Yatsanis in a positive sense to go out into the disco. Lubavitcher Rebbe reads this and he flips the entire thing on its head. And well, I want this. Let me tell you one more. Is Rav Ruvain Feinstein. I told you I like to share the news farm people send. So send me a news farm and I share them. So this is a Sefer, Nahor Shalom by Rav Ruvain Feinstein, Shlita. I thank my great friend Lenny Friedman for sending me this. And he says the following, we'll end with this. He also invokes the very same questions. Dina, did she do something different by going out? Yatsanis, Basleya. We already established Dina is considered by the Torah to be the daughter of Leah, where Dina is counted among the children of Leah. Here, though, we see even more than that. Not only does the Torah refer to Dina as the daughter of Leah, even though the egg she grew from originated in the womb of Rachel, we see also that Dina even adopted the tendencies of her birth mother. Of her birth mother. What do Chazal mean by the statement that Leah and Dina both possess the trait of being Yatsanas? It's important to understand that this trait, like all attributes, is not intrinsically good or bad. Rather, it is simply an ability or tendency that can be utilized by a person either properly or improperly. When Chazal say that Leah was a Yatsanas, they're explaining that Leah possessed the ability to overcome her natural inclination to stay out of the limelight, to avoid calling attention to oneself and to act with extreme humility when the situation called for her to do so. For example, the very place where the Torah calls Leah Yatsanas is above. There, Leah had to approach her husband and inform him that she had been awarded the right to be with him that evening. Certainly not necessarily the most genteel conversation she might have had. However, because the conversation was for the sake of a mitzvah, it was a praiseworthy course of action, and she had no trouble carrying it out. What was the result of her openness? She married Yisachar, who would go on to toil in the learning of Torah. Another positive application of the trait of Yatsanis is speaking publicly to other women, as Sari Imenu seems to have done. Presumably, Leah's nature allowed her to overcome any hesitation she had when it came to speaking publicly, which is one of the strongest phobias that people experience because it was necessary for someone to fill the role. Leah would have done so without hesitation, while someone who was not a Yitzanis would have had a far harder time battling their inhibition. Dina, too, had the ability to easily overcome her bashful and humble manner. She therefore would have made a great speaker and would surely have been able to easily overcome her tendency to be reserved when the situation called for it. Her undoing here was that she allowed her ability as a Yitzanis to influence her in a situation where it was not warranted. Another girl who was curious about the culture of the local girls might have been held in check by her natural tendency to conform and act as everyone else, and therefore not set out to explore. Dina, though, possessed an ability to more easily push aside those inhibitions, and she did just that. Her incorrect application of this ability allowed Dina to explore a foreign environment, which cost her dearly. So Rav Ruvain Feinstein, like the Lubavitcher Rebbe, reads this entire passage not in a critical way, but actually as a positive. 
what Dina had inherited from Leah to be a Yatsanis is not that she, you know, dressed differently and went out and went out on the town and left behind her values, but they spin the whole story on the head and say, it's a positive thing. While others are shy and bashful and inhibited, they had the capacity to be a Yatsanis. That when the situation demanded to leave the comfort zone, to take on a role, Hishtada Lios Ish. However, Dina left her comfort zone here inappropriately, and that's what led to this terrible consequence as a result. There's always a lot more to share. I thank you for staying with me a little extra. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. Tomorrow morning, 10 minutes of meeting. Tomorrow night, morning, living with Amuna. Tomorrow night, we go behind the bima with David Lichtenstein. If you've not yet started receiving the Parsha notes in your inbox, you still can subscribe to the newsletter. Text the letters REG22828. Have a fantastic day.